Hello and welcome to The Bucket List, the podcast that helps you add to your bucket list and may give you rope burn on your hands. My name is Sam Geiger, and today we're going to talk about taking part in a giant tug of war. In the summer of 1900, a reporter named Edgar Ubi was sent to Paris to cover the Olympics. This was the second modern Olympic Games, the first being held in Athens in 1896. Ubi wrote for Politiken, a newspaper out of Copenhagen, and was their first and only sports reporter. Prior to journalism, Ubi studied theology and taught middle school history and geography. It was a warm Monday morning when Edgar decided to head to Bologna Forest to cover the first-ever Olympic tug-of-war. There were two teams competing that day, the home team comprised of the Racing Club of France and a combined team of athletes from Denmark and Sweden. Unbeknownst to Ubi, one of the team members from Denmark had been injured earlier that day. He arrived to cover the event to find a discouraged team in need of an able-bodied Dane. This is how Edgar Ubi went to Paris aiming for a story and left with a gold medal. The French team reportedly, quote, put up a desperate resistance, but were unable to cope with their opponents. The Nordic team won 2-0, to zero, and the reporter walked away with what may be the only unplanned Olympic medal in history. Tug of War is a game in which participants on opposing teams attempt to pull each other over a specified mark using a large rope. In competitive Tug of War, there's traditionally eight people on either end of the rope, but in common practice, you can have as many people as you want, so long as you have a rope to match. Tug-of-war actually existed as a phrase to discuss a struggle for victory prior to it referring to the act of actually pulling on a rope. The game has a lot of different names depending on where you're playing it, many of which I won't attempt to pronounce since I can't even read the letters. Many variations of the game exist across a variety of cultures and locations, there's a version of tug-of-war in Myanmar, South Korea, Japan, Poland, Peru, and many more. During the Tang Dynasty in China, Emperor Yongzun promoted large-scale tug-of-war games with as many as 500 people on either end, along with a drummer on each side for encouragement. Although it pervades many different human cultures, the first empirical evidence that I could find of the game was carved onto a cave at Angkor Wat in Cambodia, a location which is now on my bucket list. The carving depicts ancient gods and demons playing tug-of-war in an aim to gain immortality. The Hindu god Vishnu sits between them, watching over the match. The folktale is an important part of Cambodian culture, and they play tug-of-war, known as Te Prot, on the third day of every Cambodian New Year's celebration, which takes place in mid-April. But you are most likely familiar with tug-of-war from your middle school gym class. It's a game that's often played in schools and among children for several reasons. On a basic level, the game is very simple to understand. There's only one real direction, pull. Additionally, it only requires a rope and hopefully some kind of padded mat or grass to fall onto. Its most important attribute, though, is that it's the ultimate team sport. Not only is everyone on your team working towards the same goal, but they're all working together in the same way to achieve that goal. When the opposing team tugs extra hard, everyone feels it in the same way. When you gain a couple feet of ground, everyone feels that victory through the rope. There's very few words said during tug-of-war, but a lot of emotions felt. 
and because of the nature of the game, they get to be felt by everyone. When I was a kid, I had trouble making friends. At the time, I thought it was because I was, for lack of a better term, weird. I often had random outbursts of energy, and I couldn't sit still for very long. This resulted in me sometimes getting other kids in trouble at school, as well as not being able to follow directions. To cope with the isolation that I felt, I dove into being different, found an identity in it because I couldn't find one anywhere else. It hurt less to be misunderstood than it did to be unliked. This, however, contributed more to the isolation that I felt. Looking back on it, what I lacked was confidence, specifically a confidence that comes from feeling a part of something. Unlike a lot of socially confused kids, I actually liked gym class. It was the only period of the day when I was really able to move around and get out energy. I remember one of my favorite gym activities was when the teacher brought out the rope to play tug-of-war. The rules of the game were simple and very difficult to mess up, something that I would frequently do in the other games we played in gym. More than that, though, tug-of-war was a brief moment when everything around us didn't matter. It didn't matter what you had next period or where you were going after school. It didn't matter what problems you were facing throughout the day or what friends you had in the class with you. And it didn't matter that some kids have problems talking to other kids. You stood there, side by side with everyone else, all working together to accomplish the same goal. Whether you win or lose in tug-of-war, you do it as a team. For me, it was that element of it, feeling included, that made all the difference. Tug-of-war was only in the Olympics for 20 years. After the 1920 Games in Antwerp, the Olympic organization felt that the games had gotten too big, and they cut several team sports, including archery, field hockey, and tug-of-war. Despite this, the game has never been more alive than in the 21st century. In my research for this episode, I came across tug-of-war organizations from the United States to Scotland to China. Each of these organizations that I came across was alive and very proud of their tug-of-war history and accomplishments. Additionally, you can find specialized tug-of-war matches around the country that anyone can be a part of. Every August, the towns of Leclerc, Iowa, and Port Byron, Illinois have a competition in which each town tries to pull the other into the Mississippi River in a massive tug-of-war known as Tugfest. This specific festival is actually what caused me to put being a giant tug-of-war on my bucket list in the first place. In life, we're frequently brought together because of context that exists elsewhere in our lives. You come together with people from work, or with friends who all watch a similar show. To take part in a large tug-of-war, though, takes you out of that and brings you together with people with which you may not share anything except your new goal to pull a large group of people across a line. In my research of various famous tug-of-war matches throughout history, one thing stuck with me. There's this photo from that Olympic match in 1900. The mustachioed participants are wearing short athletic shorts with high socks. A man in a suit stands in the middle holding a post as the crowd looks on, all wearing flat, round hats in true 1900s fashion. Looking past that, though, it looks the same as the painting in the cave in Cambodia, which looks the same as all the modern photos from the Scottish Tug-of-War Association. There's two groups of people facing each other, all pulling on the end of a rope. 
There's a lot to say about Tug of War, and a lot that didn't make it into this podcast. But my favorite thing about it is that it's a sport where a reporter can get included last minute and come away with new friends and a gold medal. If you haven't already, put being in a giant tug of war on your bucket list. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Bucket List. I've included a link in the show notes to that photo of the Olympics in 1900 so that you can see that historic match for yourself. If you haven't started your bucket list, there is no better time than right now. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.